Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. In the Old Testament book of Daniel in chapter 7, Daniel has a dream and it's described in detail with very dramatic language. But what does it all mean and how does he respond? Daniel was given a revelation of the future, of what was to come. And what did he do? He worshipped the one who held the future. Let's join Dr. Corbett tonight for Daniel's response. Daniel was the young man who was on the streets of Jerusalem as the prophet Jeremiah was prophesying. and He was taken away in that first batch of exiles. And here we are now, some 40 or so years later. We're going to glean chapters 7 and 8. And we're going to see, some, um, I think, some amazing things that Daniel was shown. And, and as we do, I want you to notice, as we, we will look in uh, chapter 7 verse 1 in just a moment. But this verse illustrates a point that... If you're not familiar with reading the Bible, you may not appreciate. And there's a couple of things here that that really illustrate this well. Firstly, Scripture will often record the events of history in a non-linear way. What the Bible will do is this. Year 1, year 20, year 30. Then the next event talks about year 10 back here. Daniel chapter 7 verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Now, if you're tracking with me through Daniel, you'll know in chapter 5, Belshazzar was executed. He's, He's not there anymore. He's dead. So in chapter 6, we're introduced to Darius, the new emperor, who is from the country of Media. He's the new Medo-Persian empire. I know we've got a lot of strange words here, but Daniel is serving initially Nebuchadnezzar. We're not told who the successor to Nebuchadnezzar was. It presumably was Nebuchadnezzar's son. We're not exactly sure who that was, except that we're given a little glimpse in Second Kings, when Jeremiah tells us the name uh, of that king. And then we, we are introduced to Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar. And so Belshazzar dies and then Darius begins to reign. So you see what Daniel's doing here? In verse 1 he's saying, when Belshazzar was the emperor, so he's now going back in time. I want, you to, I want you to know something that happened to me. And he talks about a vision. I'm going to talk about this vision a little bit. And I'll tell you why. As pastor, I want you to know how to do life. I want you to be successful in life. I want you to be able to live life and handle life's difficulties. So really, to do that, I could teach you things that start with the first two words how to and you just fill in the blanks and that's what we could do sunday by sunday how to live life how to do whatever but as a christian you're supposed to be reading this bible through you're supposed to be and you're going to come to daniel and when we read daniel 
especially this bit, this is the, from Daniel chapter 7 through to Daniel chapter 12. This is where it gets confusing for most people. And I want to try and fill in some of the blanks for you so that you're less confused, not more confused. And this is my guess. By doing that, you will be able to approach God's word with more confidence in a way that you will be able to draw strength for the struggles that you face in life. That's my heart. Next verse. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Now, you could read that and think, wow, that's just a lot of symbolism. Yes, but it's symbolism that has meaning. Here's the question. You're living in that precinct of the world in the Middle East and the expression the great sea is used, the Mediterranean. The word Mediterranean means something as well. Does anyone know what Mediterranean means? Medi in the middle. So it sounds like middle, middle, Terranean. If you look at it on the map, you've got... Italy, the shape of the boot. Then down here, you've got Africa. And that sea in the middle of the earth is the Mediterranean. It's also called the Great Sea. Now, this is, you might think, gee, pastor, big deal. Who cares? Yeah, just hang with me for a moment. Because when the Bible refers to beasts that come from across the sea, it's telling you something. You see, if you're in Israel, you're in the land, the land. And if you're not from the land, you're from across the sea. In other words, you're not a Jew, you're not a Hebrew, you are a Gentile. And again, you might think, and no, track with me. You'll see why this is important in a moment. So Daniel sees something going on in heaven that stirs up something on earth. This, is a, this, by the way, is a point which I don't have time to enlarge on, the connection between heaven and earth. Now, here's the next verse, verse 3. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. Hmm. Now, this is what I... I'm just going to pause here, these first three verses. You could imagine, this is quite... See, the first... The first six chapters of Daniel, it's exciting. It's adventurous. There's lots of pace to it. We've got people being thrown in furnaces. We've got people bowing down or not bowing down to statues and someone being turned into a, a werewolf-like person. Then in the next chapter, we've got Daniel being thrown or handwriting on the wall. Then we've got Daniel being thrown into a lion's den. Wow, it's all really exciting. And then we come to four winds, beasts, great seas. What the heck is this all about? You can see it's a quite a change of pace. And here's what we need to know. The language of the Bible's prophetic, that is, about the future, literature, is sometimes apocalyptic. Now, apocalyptic, I know, I'm, forgive me, I'm using some big words here. But these words aren't words I've just pulled out of my hat. That word apocalyptic is one of the first words that occurs in the last book of the Bible. Apocalypsis. It means a revelation. It means it's revealing something beyond itself. 
It's symbolism that has meaning. That's what apocalyptic literature is. It has meaning. It uses things to convey meaning. And here's some of the symbolism. It uses numbers. It uses objects and animals to describe future events. Here's one of the words that we're introduced to in these first three verses. And it's the word beast. And the word beast often refers to an empire or an emperor. And again, before you think, and by the way, I want you to be sceptical. I want you to be looking at me right now going, really? Honestly, I invite you to. I don't want you to sit there, well, he said it, therefore it must be true. As much as I'd love that, I don't think that's the way we should be responding. So, a beast often speaks of an empire or an emperor. And how do I know that? Because in Daniel chapter 7 and chapter 8, he says it. He just straight up says it. The beasts are kings. So that's how I know it. And that's one of the principles of Bible interpretation. Let the scriptures interpret themselves. Let the scriptures interpret scripture. All right. The expression from across the sea... I've mentioned, speaks not from the land, not from the earth. From across the sea means they're not of the land. Now, if you said to a Jew or a Hebrew, what does, when the Bible says the land, what does it mean? They'd look at you like you'd never read the Bible. They'd look at you like, what are you, weird? You, you, you've not read how we came out of Egypt and came into the promised land? That land? That, that land was the focus of our promise. What do you mean, what's the Bible mean when it says the land? It's the land God promised. It, it speaks of what God was holding out as our hope. The land. Well, who are the people of the land? What are you, equally silly? It's the people of Israel. The, Israel's the people of the land. When the Bible says that the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the camp of Israel and the whole earth shook that expression earth is the same word as the word land in greek it's the word g g gamma epsilon g e it's where we get words like geology we study the ground geography we look at the ground and we look where it's laid out and so on g so when the bible says the whole earth shook it doesn't mean that the the penguins in Antarctica went, whoa, what was that? Well, I think it was the ark coming into the camp of Israel on the other side of the world. I don't think that's what's happening. So understand apocalyptic language uses symbolism. And if you take it in a very wooden literal sense, you'll miss what it's saying. So a beast from across the sea is a ruler, a king who is not a Jewish king, not a Jewish emperor. Now, Daniel sees the coming kingdoms as beastly. Now, this is important. Each of these kingdoms are described in animal terms, except the one that follows. You see, he's going to describe four kingdoms that are coming, and then he's going to say, then a king who is the son of man will come, and his kingdom is a kingdom that shall never end. So you have... The kingdoms of man being described as animals and Jesus being described as the true man. It's quite a contrast. Animals, man. 
Verse 17. You asked me before, how do you know those beasts are kings? Well, probably because of this verse. This helps. The four great beasts are four kings. Did we lose anyone? And I'm not trying to be silly. This is language that's established here in Daniel and then used by Jesus and then used in the book of Revelation. And if you don't get it here, I guarantee you, you won't get the book of Revelation. So the four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. And it's the fourth beast in Daniel's vision that was the Roman Empire. How do we know that? Because this is not the first time Daniel's sharing this vision. The first time he shared it was when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream of the statue. Remember? Head of gold, chest of silver, um, midriff of bronze and legs of iron. And he says, you, O great Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. The Babylonian Empire. And then he says this. After you shall come a Medo-Persian Empire. It's like it's not open for interpretation. He just straight out says it. Medo-Persian Empire. Then after you shall come a Greek Empire. And then that Greek Empire shall be divided into four. And one one from the north will override the one from the south. And that will be the kingdom of iron. And if you know anything about history, you know that when Alexander conquered the Medo-Persian Empire, it was a Greek empire. When Alexander died in his 30s, his four generals contended for the empire. They fought with each other. Two went to the south, two went to the north. The ones that went to the north were Mark, Antony and Cleopatra. Ever heard of them? And the guys to the north, his name was Julius Caesar. So you had the Ptolemies and the Seleucid families fighting it out just as daniel prophesied 500 years before it happened and daniel says the ones from the north will conquer the ones from the south and mark antony and cleopatra were conquered and julius caesar from the seleucid family these guys are from the ptolemy family they did conquer Just as Daniel said, this is pretty amazing. In fact, it's so amazing, people used to think Daniel could not have been written when it's claimed it was written. It must have been written around about 200 AD, not around 500 BC, because it is just so accurate as far as what happened in history. So, Daniel is describing the fourth, gold, silver, bronze, iron. And he's going to say that this iron kingdom has ten horns. And then it comes to an end. There is a Freddo frog on offer for anybody who can tell me the names of the first ten kings of the Roman Roman Empire. Looks like I get to keep my Freddo frog. Share. All right, we all get a lick. Now, I'll tell you their names in a moment. I have them memorized. And I'll come to it in a moment. Now, you might think, why would you waste your time memorizing the first 10 kings of Israel? Because Daniel mentions it, the book of Revelation mentions it. And would it interest you to know? That from Julius 
to the 10th king marks the exact time when all of the things that related to the Old Testament, which is the temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices and the law, ended. Would that interest you at all? It interests me a lot to know this. So track with me a bit. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron, claws of bronze, Roman Empire, they spoke Greek, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, and the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things that seemed greater than its companions. Hmm. Now I know if you're reading this and you know no background at all, this is going to be like, this is riddles. I've got no idea what Daniel's talking about. Mind you, Daniel didn't know either because he's saying, God, I don't get this. Now, this is interesting. If he's making this up, that's an unusual confession to make. This, is, this little passage here is one of the greatest reasons why I know that this is not the product of man. This can only be from God. Let me explain why. You see, the ten kings of Rome started with Julius. It then went to Augustus. It then went to Caligula, Claudius. It then went to Nero. Then you have a succession of three that fell very quickly. Hmm. Hmm, that's curious. In fact, they fell so quickly, this first one, Galba, he reigned five months. And then the Praetorian Guard killed him. Otho, he reigned three months and he was killed. And then Vitellius, he did okay. He reigned six months and then... He was invited to commit suicide. If you count it up, um, three, five, six, it's, it's roughly a year. It almost constitutes the reign of one emperor if you, if you stretch it. And that's what some historians do. They actually say, and the historians that date back to the first century actually say, you know, that's not really three emperors. That's barely an emperor. And so they count that as one reign of one emperor right there. But then there are other historians who say, you've got to be joking. This guy was five months, this guy was three months, this guy was six months. We shouldn't count him at all. Just ignore it. And then the one that comes after him is Vespasian. So Vespasian, if you count these three and you count these others, he's the 10th Roman king. What's interesting is that in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, it says this. There are five kings. One now is. The one who is to come is the seventh, who is the eighth, who is the tenth. Now you've got to be forgiven for reading, is the seventh, is the eighth, is the tenth? Come back with me, Roman history. Five kings, Julius, Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, five have fallen. One now is, Nero. He shall go. And the one who is the seventh. Well, is he seventh? Do we count these three? If we don't, if we don't count these three, 
Galba, Otho, Vitellius. Don't count them. Yeah, he's the, se- he's the seventh. But if we count them as one, he's the eighth. But if we count all three, he's the tenth. John wrote this six years before it happened. Daniel wrote about it 500 years before it happened. This is weird, Nespa. This is really interesting. So that's why I say Vespasian is either the 7th, he's either the 8th or he's either the 10th, depending on which school of historian you hold to. Now what you may not realise is the 6th emperor, Nero, became emperor when he was 17. By the way, one of the first things he did was to change marriage so that a man could marry a man. Just by the way. He had a young boy castrated to be a girl. And I'm not going to tell you any more details. He was a horribly wicked man. In 64 AD, and this is what I think most Christians do not know. He launched a war on the church in 64 AD. And you go, oh, pastor, where's that in the New Testament? It's in Revelation chapter 1 where John, who is writing Revelation in 65 AD, says this, I am your fellow partaker in the tribulation. In the persecution. And what's he referring to? The time when Nero in 64 AD declared war on the church. And Nero began to kill literally tens and tens of thousands of Christians. And he defied Jesus Christ. And Daniel saw it. And he says in Daniel 7 verse 21. And I looked. This horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. He was killing Christians he actually was now this next verse we sing this song we haven't sung it for a while but I wonder how many people realize what we're singing when we sing Daniel chapter 7 verse 22 until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the most high and the time came and the saints possessed the kingdom and we pick up on this in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 13 where it says uh, uh, verse Daniel, oh, Daniel seven, thirteen, where it says this: I saw in the night visions. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. And we sing that song, Oh, Ancient of Days. That's what we're singing. Here, it's a picture. Notice this: it says one like the Son of Man came up on the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days, God Himself. Jesus quotes that verse in Matthew 24 and most people think he's talking about the clouds of earth. It's the clouds of heaven. What are these clouds of heaven? Heaven apparently gets very cloudy when God gets ticked and he's about to move in judgment. It fills with his glory, a glory cloud. And it says in the midst of that cloud, one came up on the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days and said, Now, Father, and the Ancient of Days says, Now, son, judge this empire. And history tells us it was a pretty cataclysmic time. Daniel is told that these visions concern the end, latter times. And we read that today as if it's the end of the world. That's not what Daniel's talking about. It's the end of something. So he came near where I stood 
And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And he said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. What end are we referring to? God had shown Daniel the future kingdoms of the world through to the coming of Christ, the Son of Man. Who came on the clouds. And that's a picture of judgment. What was brought to an end? What was brought to an end? And what was made new? And I'm going to suggest to you it was the old covenant that was brought to an end. When the temple was destroyed, the priests were all executed. Animal sacrifices literally stopped. Now before you think, and I invite you to be sceptical, but before you think, oh, pastor, you're stretching it here. Well, we haven't got into chapter 9 where it actually says that. It actually says when this happens, sacrifices will cease. In AD 70, the Romans invaded Jerusalem. They tore apart the temple brick by brick. They took out every priest. They executed every one of them. And for the last 2,000 years, there has not been an animal sacrificed since. Exactly what Daniel saw. The seeds of the kingdom of Christ in the hearts of man were sown around that time. And Christ, who also spoke about this in Matthew chapter 24, and Daniel sees Christ as a little stone, and now he sees him as a person compared to animals. It says his kingdom, the kingdom of the Son of Man, Son of God, will last forever, and it will be in the hearts of people. And here's my question. Daniel saw history unfold precisely it is exactly what happened now this is the application i want to bring you see daniel he didn't know what the future held he didn't know if his people would ever get back to the promised land he didn't know he will know soon because god will show him and we'll see that in the next chapter but here's daniel's response to an unknown future he worshipped the one who holds the future. Can I suggest to you, you might see your future in a particular way and you may have seen your future in a particular way and you may have become really disappointed. Can I encourage you? There is one who does know what your future looks like. There is one. You should worship him and trust him. That he's a good God who has your future in his hand. You don't know what the future holds, but you can know the one who holds your future. And here's the question. Daniel describes in the closing part of, of Daniel chapter 8 that this kingdom is a kingdom that shall have no end. And that kingdom, Jesus said, do not look here, do not look there, for the kingdom of God is within you. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he becomes king over your heart. You're in the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. And here's my question. Are you in it? Are you in the kingdom that Jesus Christ has established that will never end? A kingdom that means once you enter into it here, death becomes a transition. And you will be with Christ for eternity. Are you in it? Let's pray. Father, 
We read in Daniel the things that no man could have guessed. We read in Daniel that 500 years before certain events even took place, you told Daniel, you showed Daniel in amazing detail the things that would unfold at the coming of Christ and at the end of the old covenant era when the temple was destroyed eventually. No man could have guessed this. No man could have made it up out of his own imagination. And God, this gives me great confidence that the Bible is your book. It comes from you. Now, Lord, I pray that each of us would open our fist. Each of us would lift an empty hand to you and say, God, I come to you and I surrender to you. Have your way in my life, I pray. You pray a prayer like that. Whatever your past has been, whatever has been done to you, can be healed whatever shame you have from what you have done can be forgiven and you can know peace with god for eternity now lord help us the people of god to know you to trust you and to live as if we do in jesus name and everyone said amen irrespective of what the future holds will you be faithful will you trust and continue to worship the god who holds the future more from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Daniel's Response, are available from the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Updates and special offers are also available on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We invite you to join us again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.